The Air by Vita Sackville West. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story One: The Air. Six. When Nutley came again, a fortnight after the funeral, to his surprise he met Chase in the park with Thane, the greyhound, at his heels. "'Good gracious,' he said, "'I thought you were in Wolverhampton.' "'So I was. I thought I'd come back to see how things were going on. I arrived two days ago.' "'But I saw Fortune last week, and he never mentioned your coming,' pursued Mr. Nutley, mystified. "'No, I dare say he didn't.' In point of fact, he knew nothing about it until I turned up here. What? You didn't let the servants know? No, I didn't. Chase entered suddenly upon a definite dislike of Mr. Nutley. He felt a relief as soon as he had realized it. He felt more settled and definite in his mind, cleared of the cobwebs of a vague uneasiness. Nutley was too inquisitorial, too managing altogether. Black Boy's was his own to come to, if he chose, still his own, for another month. "'What on earth have you got there?' said Nutley, peering at a crumpled bunch that Chase carried in his hand. "'Butcher Boy's,' replied Chase. "'They're wild orchids,' said Mr. Nutley, after peering a little closer. "'Why do you call them Butcher Boy's?' "'That's what the children call them,' mumbled Chase. "'I don't know them by any other name.' Ugly things, anyhow, he added, flinging them violently away. Soft, soft, said Nutley to himself, tapping his forehead as he walked on alone. He proceeded towards the house. Queer of Chase to come back like that, without a word to anyone. What about that business of his in Wolverhampton? He seemed to be less anxious about that now. As though he couldn't leave matters to Nutley and Fairbrother, solicitors and estate agents, without slipping back to see things himself. Spying, no less. Queer, sly, silent fellow, mooning about the park, carrying wild orchids. Butcher boys, he had called them. What children had he been consorting with, to learn that country name? There had been an odd look in his eye, too, when Nutley had come upon him, as though he were vexed at being seen and would have liked to slink off in the opposite direction. Queer, too, that he should have made no reference to the approaching sale. He might at least have asked whether the estate office had received any private applications, but Nutley had already noticed that he took very little interest in the subject of the sale. An unsatisfactory employer, except in so far as he never interfered. It was unsatisfactory never to know whether one's employer approved of what was being done or not. And under his irritability was another grievance, the suspicion that Chase was a dark horse. The solicitor had always marked down black boys as a ripe plum to fall into his hands when old Miss Chase died, obstinate, opinionated, old Philida Chase. He had never considered the heir at all. It was almost as though he looked upon himself as the heir, the impatient heir, hostile and vindictive towards the coveted inheritance. Nutley reached the house, where, his hand upon the latch of the little wooden gate, he was checked by a padlock within the hasp. He was irritated, and shook the latch roughly. He thought that the quiet house, safe behind its gate and its sleeping moat, smiled and mocked him. Then, more sensibly, he pulled the bell beside the gate, and waited till the tinkle inside the house brought Fortune hurrying to open. "'What's this affair, eh, Fortune?' 
said Nutley, with false good humour, pointing to the padlock. "'The padlock, sir? That's there by Mr. Chase's orders,' replied Fortune demurely. "'Mr. Chase's orders?' repeated Mr. Nutley, not believing his own ears. "'Mr. Chase has been very much annoyed, sir, by motoring parties coming to look over the house, and making free of the place.' "'But they may have been intending purchasers,' Mr. Nutley almost shrieked, touching upon the raw. "'Yes, sir. They all had orders to view. All except one party, that is, that came yesterday. Mr. Chase turned them away, sir.' "'Turned them away?' "'Yes, sir. They came in a big car. Mr. Chase talked to them himself through the gate. He had the key in his pocket. No, sir, he wouldn't unlock it. He said that if they wanted to buy the house, they would have the opportunity of doing so at the auction. Yes, sir, they seemed considerably annoyed. They said they had come from London on purpose. They said they should have thought that if anyone had a house to sell, he would have been only too glad to show parties over it, order or no order. They said, especially if the house was so unsaleable, two hours by train from London and not up to date in any way. Mr. Chase said, very curt-like, that if they wanted an up-to-date house, black boys was not likely to suit them. He just lifted his cap and wished them good evening, and came back by himself into the house, with the key still in his pocket, and the car drove away. Very insolent sort of people they were, sir, I must say. Fortune delivered himself of this recital in a tone that was a strange compound of respect, reticence, and a secret relish. During its telling he had followed Mr. Nutley's attentive progress into the house, until they arrived in the panelled library, where the coral-coloured tulips reared themselves so luminously against the sobriety of the books and of the oak. Mr. Nutley noticed them, because it was easier to pass a comment on a bowl of flowers than upon Chase's inexplicable behaviour. "'Yes, sir, very pretty. Mr. Chase puts them there,' said Fortune, with the satisfaction of one who adds a final touch to a suggestive sketch. "'Shouldn't have thought he'd ever looked at a flower in his life,' muttered Nutley. He deposited his bag on the table, and turned to the butler. "'Quite between you and me, Fortune, what you tell me surprises me very much, about the visiting parties, I mean. And the padlock, mm, the padlock. I always thought Mr. Chase very quiet, but you don't, do you, think him soft? Fortune knew that Nutley enjoyed saying that. He remembered how he had caught Chase, the day before, studying bumbledories on the low garden wall, but he withheld the bumbledories from Mr. Nutley. It wouldn't be unnatural, sir, he submitted, if Mr. Chase had a feeling about black boys being in the market. Feeling? Pooh, said Mr. Nutley. He said pooh again to reassure himself, because he knew that fortune, stupid, sentimental, and shrewd, had hit the nail on the head. He'd never set eyes on black boys until three weeks ago. Besides, what could he do with the place except put it on the market? Tell me that. Absurd. He was sorting papers out of his black bag. Their neat stiffness gave him the reassuring sense of being here among matters which he completely understood. This was his province. He would have said, had he been asked a day earlier, that it was Chase's province too. Now he was not so sure. "'Sentimentality,' he snorted. 
It was his most damning criticism. Chase's pipe was lying on the table beside the tulips. He picked it up and regarded it with a mixture of reproach and indignation. It reposed mutely in his hand. "'Ridiculous!' said Nutley, dashing it down again, as though that settled the matter. "'The people round here have taken to him wonderful,' put in Fortune. Nutley looked sharply at him. He stood by the table, demure, grizzled, and perfectly respectful. "'Why, has he been round talking to the people?' "'A good deal, sir. Among the tenants like. Wonderful how he gets on with them for a city-bred man. I don't hold with city-breeding myself. Will you be staying to luncheon, sir?' "'Yes,' replied Mr. Nutley, preoccupied and profoundly suspicious. 7. Suspicious of Chase, though he couldn't justify his suspicion. Tested even by the severity of the solicitor's standards, Chase's behavior and conversation during luncheon were irreproachable. No sooner had he entered the house than he began briskly talking of business yet Nutley continued to eye him as one who beneath reasonable words and a bland demeanour nourishes a secret and a joke, a silent and deeply buried understanding. He talked sedately enough, keeping to the subject even with a certain rigour, acreage, rents, building possibilities, an intelligent interest. Still, Nutley could have sworn there was an irony in it. Irony from Chase? Weedy, irritable little man, Chase, not today, though. Not irritable today. In a good temper. Ironical? Playing the host, sitting at the head of the refectory table, while Nutley sat at the side. Naturally. Very cordial, very open-handed with the port. Quite at home in the dining-room, ordering his dog to a corner, and in the library, too, with his pipes and tobacco strewn about. How long ago was it since Nutley was warning him not to slip on the polished boards? then a stroll round the garden, chase with crumbs in his pocket for the peacocks. When they saw him, two or three hopped majestically down from the parapet, and came stalking towards him, accustomed to crumbs, evidently. "'You haven't had them destroyed, then?' said Nutley, eyeing them with mistrust and disapproval, and chase laughed without answering. Up the centre walk of the garden, and back by the herbaceous borders along the walls, lilac, wisteria, patches of tulips, colonies of iris. All the while Chase never deviated from the topic of selling. He pointed out the house, folded in the hollow down the gentle slope of the garden. Not bad for those who like it. Thirty thousand for the house, I think you said. Then why the devil, Nutley wanted to say, but refrained from saying, do you turn away people who come in a big car? They strolled down the slope, Chase breaking from the lilac bushes an armful of the heavy plumes. He wanted to do it with an unknowing gesture, as though he couldn't keep his hands off flowers, and then to be embarrassed on discovering in his arms the wealth that he had gathered. It was as though he had kept an adequate guard over his tongue, while allowing his gestures to escape him. He took Nutley round to the entrance, where the station cab was waiting, and unlocked the gate with the key he carried in his pocket. "'You go back to Wolverhampton to-morrow?' said Mr. Nutley, preparing to depart. "'That's it,' replied Chase. "'Did he look sly or didn't he?' "'All the arrangements will be made by the end of next week,' said Nutley severely. 
That's splendid, replied Chase. Nutley, as he was driven away, had a last glimpse of him, leaning still against the gate-post, vaguely holding the lilac. End of Story 1, Sections 6 and 7